0: Every day, 34 people in their 20s and 30s are diagnosed with cancer.
1: On the 7th of July 2015, I was one of the 34.
0: On the 28th of August 2008, I was one of the 34.
1: These are the stories of what happens afterwards.
0: This is Afterthoughts. Good and today we are uh, welcome, welcomed. Welcomed? Oh, <laughs> we are joined uh, by Ryan. No, I enjoy that. I think that's fine. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, we are joined uh, by Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hi there. Hi, Toby, You okay? Yes. I'm um, all right. Thank you. Ryan is uh, a Trekstock young adult ambassador Woo, uh, and, one of, shout out. and one of the family members of Cancer Lads as yes. well. Uh, and Alice, you want to tell us what's been going on with you? Yeah, yeah
1: sure. So. Um, do you remember when we were on Chris's? When we had Chris on the podcast? Yeah. Last week we were talking about. It might not be last week. Well, whenever it was. Okay. <laughs> well, we recorded it last week. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, when we had Chris on the podcast, we were talking about the fact that my eyebrows never came back after treatment, so I draw my eyebrows on every day, and it's very boring. And I decided that 2020 was going to be the year that I got my eyebrows back, and I booked in to get my eyebrows microbladed next week. But the best thing about it is I booked the appointment and you two are both like, fuck, I I don't give a shit about eyebrows. (laughs) But the best thing about it is um, I booked the appointment and then I thought about it and I was like, it's actually exactly four years to the day since my last chemo. Wow,
0: You're very good with dates, aren't you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that weird though? Because I hadn't really thought about it. Yeah. And then boom.
0: Can you just explain what microblading is? I have no idea. Yeah, I'm not really too sure. With, <laughs> sat
1: here with two men who clearly <laughs> have never had their eyebrows make microbladed before. Um, microblading, is like tattooing essentially. So you get your eyebrows tattooed, but they look like, rather than it being like a solid block, like a regular tattoo, they do like tiny little hairs. So.
0: What, are they placing them in? No, 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 it's
1: like tattooed on. Um, I'll show you pictures later because you're both yeah. like it's it's hard. I'm just <laughs> I'm
2: just imagining just a solid black line at the moment. Yeah, um,
1: let me find a picture. Because, okay,
0: but um, I, Alice, does this become like it, is there never the potential that your eyebrows will grow? Well, back? I
1: mean, they haven't grown back in four years. I know. know, but
0: is there not the potential? So therefore, I if think if
1: they were going to do it, they'd have done it by now,
0: right? And um, is is this whilst you're looking for the picture? Can I ask? Is yeah. um eyebrows not growing. i'd never heard of that before
1: it does happen does happen yeah um
0: dependent on certain chemo's or i don't
1: know i think it's more to do with your hair but i always say i would much rather that my eyebrows didn't grow back and my eyelashes did than the other way around because if i had like no eyelashes was weird right Mm, yeah very strange Um, hang on let me find it
0: okay Whilst you're doing that, right? And um, we're not even into the thing, but I'm going to ask because uh, it was supposed to ask person before chemo, before cancer. But never mind. Um, what uh, did you lose eyebrows?
2: I did. Um, they started thinning out a lot during sort of the main bulk of my treatment. I never fully lost them. Yeah. Um, I kind of held on to them a while. They're quite thick, so they they sort of stayed a little while. But then as soon as I had the stem cell transplant, that was it. It was like a full body wax. Yes. It was gone. Yeah, Everything yeah. was gone. Uh, Well,
0: Welcome to Afterthoughts, uh, a series of uh, podcasts that are on stories around young people who have experienced cancer. Uh, Today we have Ryan and Ryan is going to be giving us some of the stories from um, his experience Uh, and yeah so but before we jump into that Alice Mm -hmm. uh, as we always do person before cancer uh, questions? Questions. Uh, Ryan, are you ready for your quick fire questions? They're I'm really, as ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> they're quite they're quite like deep questions oh, okay, okay. and
1: meaningful. Um am I going first? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, Ryan, please could you tell us your preferred pronouns?
0: He. Uh could you please tell us what do people say, who do people say you look like? And you can't say you're twin, brother. Oh,
2: no, that was <laughs> oh my, my God, only answer.
1: Had two sets of twins. We have
2: had two Yay! sets of twins. Chris Sorry, is also yeah. a twin. Um, you I can't haven't see. actually really ever been sort of told I look like anyone in, in Famous or anyone. Just my twin, that's all I get. Yeah. You've never you've been never said been. you look like anybody no, else? No, do you want to tell me one now? <laughs> is it one that I'm you thinking, have now? I'm oh. thinking. It not, see, there's, I don't think there's there's anyone I mean, that comes to mind. Put on the spot. I mean, you've yeah. had years of being Yeah, no, I think that's why I'm surprised. Told. You know, I thought maybe someone would have come up with something good, but um, nothing. No, I can't do it. Absolutely yeah, well, well, nothing. I think, well,
1: we Have a thing, yeah, okay. yes. on, yeah. Um, what
2: was your first pet? First pet was a, a pet hamster. Um, yeah, and it was she was called Nasha. Nasha. Uh,
1: that's because a great I used name. to love the
2: I used to read the Beano. Ah, uh, okay. And Nasha was the little dog, but you know I loved it that much. I called my little hamster Nasha. Nasha oh. yeah. hamster. Biggest regret though because um you know she literally escaped every single night and caused havoc and. Yeah, I had to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning every night, chasing around my mum's bedroom. Oh my uh, uh, Ryan, the hamster's out again. Uh, <laughs> Nasha. Yeah, Gnasher, so. yeah. what a Never minute. Mind. Where do you say you're from? Sunderland. Easy. Short and sweet.
1: Um, now this, is quite, this has been uh, quite a controversial one. Oh. And there is a wrong answer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what's your favourite soup?
2: Favourite soup? Okay, I'm not really big on soup. But if I had to choose any kind of soup, it would probably just be a nice basic tomato soup. Oh, God, that's good. Oh, Nothing that's crazy. That's safe. That's safe. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, three words to describe yourself, which is the worst question in the
2: world. Okay. Um, I would say sporty, um, caring, and loving.
1: So you didn't find that out, did I you? Hate it. Um, and lastly, your favourite childhood TV program.
2: Oh, this is a difficult one. There's quite a lot. It's probably got to be, oh, Tom and Jerry. Oh,
1: good one. Tom and, Tom and it has Jerry. has to be Tom yet? and Jerry. Oh, classic. Yeah. Why did you look so surprised at Tom <laughs> and Jerry? No,
2: sorry, it was just quite
0: classic, <laughs> so I was quite <laughs> taken by that, yeah.
2: That okay.
1: is a good one. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and Ryan, could you tell us your diagnosis, um, please?
2: Yes, I was diagnosed with uh, stage four testicular cancer. And how old were you? I was 23 at the time. And could you give us a short summary of the
0: treatment that you um, had for that? I
2: had around eight months of uh, chemotherapy, um, and then I had a stem cell transplant, and then I kind of ended on an RPLND surgery.
0: Mm, RPLND. Okay. I don't know what that means, but there we are. Yeah, um, right. What uh, Can I just ask, um, with stem cells, did you
2: have your own? Or did I did, you have, yes, because yeah. it wasn't blood cancer or bone cancer, I was able to use my own stem cells.
0: Uh-huh. Wonderful. Okay, Uh-oh. awesome.
1: We are so pleased to have you here, Ryan. Thank you so much for agreeing to uh, join us on Afterthoughts. And we want to start off by um, asking you to tell us a story about beyond a diagnosis. We know that um, a lot happens beyond a diagnosis. It so does. um So if you could kind of tell us a story around that theme, uh, we'd love to hear it.
2: Yeah, so, you know, there I was just waking up from surgery and... I kind of was in a good place because I thought you know this is the be-all and end-all this is the final the final hurdle um and you don't really give you much time to recover you sort of shipped out in a couple of days and I remember them wheeling me down in a wheelchair sort of shipping me into a a taxi and you know it was sort of like a moment of I'm just going back into the normal world here and I don't feel ready um so you kind of have this thought that you're just going to go straight back into things, but then, I know I spent the next at least the next week or two in bed, um, and then came the news that I would no longer need any more treatment. That was just a phone call, which was um, incredible. I remember sort of embracing my mum and my brother, just crying, and there was that really sort of overwhelming emotion um, of sort of oh, thank you know thank goodness this is just over. Um, but then you kind of just sort of sit around and you go right well what should i do now and you're sort of just like looking around the same four walls you've looked at the past year because um, you've just been locked up in the room and you go right well that's it i can go back to work i can go back to the gym i can go back to sport and before you can really sort of actually make any um sort of sensible decisions you just rush into these things so you know it wasn't long before i went back into work and you know i was very barely recovered, my hair just started growing back to the point where I could get, like, you know, the very of shortest of haircuts. And it was very strange. I remember looking back at a photo of me now and it was just, everything was just like jet black. um, And I, I definitely still had some sort of steroid sort of inflation of the face. Didn't realise that at the time because it actually gone down. um, But yeah, there was, I just remember going back into work and sort of, I work as a primary school teacher, so you really have to be on it with kids. And I remember just sort of like looking around and all of the noise and the chaos and just thinking to myself, am I gonna catch any germs from the kids? You know, am I fully healed enough? Am I, have I recovered enough to be in this environment? What should I be doing? Should I be asking them some questions? Should I be sitting down doing some group work with them? I almost forgot how to do my job because it'd been such a long time. And I just remember thinking at that point, you know, this. This is probably gonna be harder than I thought it was gonna be because you have the mindset of who you were before cancer, but you're sort of lost in this world of, wow, I'm not who I was before cancer. I kind of really need to figure this out quickly because I've already thrown myself into the deep end. So I teach in reception, which is, um, yeah, probably the most chaotic year group <laughs> in terms of uh, energy. I kind of went in as a supply, uh, sorry, not as a supply, as a, a TA to my class, um, but it was a different class. This, this. Was was supposed to be my class for this year, but I I only met them before this started, and then I was diagnosed and went through all my treatment, and yeah, so then I got a new class who I'd never met, um, but it was my class in terms of my actual room and area, um, but they had a supply in, and they were very kind and they said you know we can, um, you can come in and do whatever days you want. I started on just afternoons, um. A little bit of a funny story, one of the boys um, that I taught in my first year, lovely little boy, um, he had like a really short haircut and obviously before treatment I, I had a bit longer hair and he said, oh Mr. Collard you've got your haircut like I do and I just kind of had a roll with it like, oh yeah I just loved your haircut so much I just needed to get the same kind of thing. Um, and he kind of, you know, obviously didn't really know what was going on, but yeah, that was quite funny. Well, I think I was at a point where I sort of looked relatively normal to the human eye. Mm. Anyone who didn't know wouldn't know. Um, so that was a good part because mm. you don't really want parents questioning. And, you know, that that sort of side kept a little bit separate, which was nice. The people who needed to know knew, and that was, that was it. As funny as it sounds, a lot of people would do anything these days to get off work. Um, I actually absolutely love my job, so I you know, would think about it all the time when I, was, when I was ill and thinking about how much the kids will cheer me up when I get back. And I just thought, you know it is if I can just go in and, 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 and sort of get a couple of days under my belt, maybe that will um, build up some happiness inside me because I was in a pretty dark place when I finished treatment, so I thought maybe that could be the, the sort of spark and the kickstart I need um and th- i think that's probably why i rushed into it but looking back now i wish i took a little bit more time to you know look after myself and really get myself to a place where i was stronger more confident first before before doing that because i feel like that made it harder yeah you know you want to become who you were before and you know work is one of the main things and another thing as well at the end of the day because i was out of treatment for so long I wasn't earning any money, but I started to pay rent, and you know, life goes on around you. There's only so many grants and so many things you can get from all these different charities, which were amazing, Um, but it doesn't cover the cost, especially of rent in London. Um, So yeah, it was a pretty difficult time. I think the worry of of using up all my savings and not having anything to be able to keep for my future was one of the things that made me want to go back pretty quickly. But yeah, I think it was between that and the fact of wanting to re-establish myself was definitely the two main reasons. Yeah, I remember taking a selfie on the morning with my my Sunderland pencil case, you know, really raring to go. um, And I remember just walking in there, sort of seeing all the teachers, all the teachers giving me hugs and going, oh, it's so nice to have you back. And then sort of sitting down on a chair in front of the class and in front of the kids and thinking, what on earth am I doing here? what do i say how do i interact with kids anymore i'm you know with kids you've got to be really bubbly and like over sort of energetic and you've got to match their energy levels and as you can imagine after a year of treatment of stem cell transplant and RPLND surgery your energy levels are rock bottom so yeah i soon found out that it was a lot of play acting to start with um but yeah i definitely couldn't keep up with the um the children so that was pretty hard <laughs>
0: Next on our afterthoughts, uh, our topic is invisible impacts. So Ryan, we would love to hear a story around something that is perhaps not visible to others about the impacts of cancer. So over to you.
2: Okay, so I think pretty much a lot of the um, sort of side effects from um, life beyond cancer are pretty much invisible. Um, but the big one for me is probably fertility. So I was reminded of this when I was at work and I was having lunch with the children. Um, and one of the boys just sort of out of nowhere whilst eating his fish and chips just sort of stood up and shouted, I love my daddy. Uh, and I was there sort of, you know, completely caught off guard thinking, you know, I might never hear these words. And I literally had to take my whole plate of food into the staff room and just had like a little five minute meltdown. Um, it was pretty hard to hear and then you sort of, all these emotions go through your head, you know, why did he say that, is he, is it a sign, is, is he said this because he knows, do you know what I mean? You know, it was completely random and it basically, it, it really quite sort of struck a nerve. Um, so when I was going through treatment, because I was caught so late on, they didn't actually give me a chance to, to bank any sperm. Um, I didn't really even question this at the start, I didn't realize this was a thing. Um, I just was told that I need to go straight into chemotherapy within the next couple of days. And that's what happened. Um, you know, fast forward six, six months or so after my first, you know, real load site, like, you know, real big cycle of chemo, you know, they finally sort of turn around me and go, um, or if you want, before you start your next cycle, you can try banking sperm. And I just thought, well, this is seems pretty pointless. Why didn't you ask me before? That was the first time I said to them, you know, why didn't you ask, if I get bank sperm before, and they said, oh, um, you know, you, you were quite ill at that point, and any sperm that would have been banked at that point, we don't think would have been healthy. And then, you know, you go through those thoughts where you go, well, hang on a second, why didn't you just at least try? You know, that was my best chance. Um, but yeah, anyway, they tried, of course, like you do, and got a phone call within about five minutes, so they must have known it was pretty bad, that yeah, there was no sort of active sperm in there. I mean it wasn't a surprise but you kind of just go oh maybe there's one <laughs> um so yeah they fast forwarded again second load of treatment uh, and just before i had the stem cell they said oh we would like you to try again i was like fantastic i'll give it another try try it again again absolutely nothing but then again chemo upon chemo it didn't happen the first time what are the chances you know these strong brave fighting sperm are gonna you know survive two loads so I pretty was I was you know pretty much prepared for that one. It was just a they've offered it, so let's give it a chance. Um, yeah, fast forward stem cell transplant, um, and then the surgery. Now after this, when I was having surgery, they did warn me that um, because of where they will be cutting, it's close to a nerve that can cause. I think it's called retrograde um, ejaculation. So basically, what that means is. Um, instead of sort of the sperm coming out it goes back into the bladder um, and I was like okay okay I mean what choice do I have you know at the end of the day I need to have the surgery so you know thanks for telling me but I mean there's nothing really I can do about it um, and then I had surgery obviously it was a long time afterwards before I kind of discovered anything because you know I wasn't gonna do anything for a while because you're in a lot of pain and, and whatever but anyway when the time came sure enough be it nothing came out and yeah i was i remember going to the toilet and you know going for a wee afterwards and sort of it being a bit cloudy and thinking okay this is what they said this is what they mentioned um this must mean that i've got you know retrograde ejaculation now which again you know ruins your chances of you know fertility even more um, but then even as time has gone on, you know, the wee stopped getting cloudy. So, you know, that makes you think, is it even going into the bladder anymore? Because I was thinking even if, it, even if it was in the wee, I was told that maybe they could get some semen from the wee. And if I'm not seeing any sort of cloudy wee now, you know, what does that mean? Like, where's it going? Is it is it not going? Is it there? Is it not there? You just, yeah, you just sort of, I kind of run out of hope a little bit i always wanted to be a dad you know i'm a primary school teacher i love children and and, you know you can ask my family it's something i've always said you know i've always wanted three children i've always wanted two boys one girl um and it's something that i talked about from you know being a teenager and and because i just loved my own family and i just wanted that experience when i was older it was it was almost like i was living my life for that moment so you know to have that ripped away from you in such like um, you know devastating fashion it, I mean that in terms of sort of you know one second it's it's possible the next it's just not um, and you can't do anything to stop that you can't do anything to, to save that that's you know it's quite it's quite heartbreaking really I'm seeing a specialist I was um, very kindly put in touch with a specialist in UCLH um, my light at the end of the tunnel as I refer to her as and you know she's offered <laughs> me um, lots of lots of options and um, I've already tried one of the options um, which is where you know you go to try and bank but obviously as you know nothing comes out but then you urine into a pot afterwards to see if there's anything in there got the results back from that and there was nothing in there um, which kind of confirmed what I was seeing before when I was not really seeing anything um, You know, you kind of know your own body and you can kind of sense if there's going to be something there. Um, But she's sort of said, don't worry about it. We'll come back in six months. We'll give that one another try. You're still very fresh. You're still very new out of um, treatment and surgery. Um, We want to give you the best chances of that. So I'm due to see her again in like a month or so. A thing to do this test. Oh, actually, I need to do this test like a week before I go and see her. Um, Not really feeling confident that this is gonna show anything up. Although I've had like little spurts of um, random sort of liquid coming out at random points. It, um, I'm not sure what that is. It has the consistency of sperm, but not the look. Um, that kind of fills me with a little bit of hope, like what is that, what is that, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah You know. Yeah. I'm just sort of like, <laughs> I kinda of wanna collect it up and be like, oh, you know, <laughs> if I collect enough, like maybe it's a good amount, you know, you yeah. just don't know. Um, but, I, yeah, I'm not really hopeful in this sense, but there are other options she has offered me in terms of some kind of surgical options and whatever. And I just kind of hope and pray that um, this woman's a miracle worker, really. The longer you are out of treatment, the more likely and the more chance you have of that being possible. Um, that's why um, this woman is saying, you know, don't worry about it. Let's just wait. Time is the biggest healer. Um, and it could take up to like you know years and years. Um, I'm a little bit impatient with this because you know I feel like I just want to know now if it's going to be coming back in seven years or whatever. Um, so you can kind of plan because you don't want to wait and expect it to, yeah. and then you get to that point and then you've got to go down the route of you know IVF or adoption or because mm-hmm. those processes aren't easy slash take a long time as well. Um, so. It takes a lot of thought, and that's why, I mean, I'm still quite young, but I'm at that age now where I would want to start. Um, so yeah, um, so it was this the woman that I see in the UCLH. Um, you know, she came out with a big, bright, bubbly smile, and I remember her sort of leading me into her room and seeing just a, a lot of b- um, beautiful baby pictures on the wall. Um, which you know, after a co- after a conversation, I realised those were all her sort of successful stories. And the families that had sent her pictures of the babies, the, the families that she's managed to help with fertility issues. So it kind of was like, right, I'm in the right place here. This is the woman that I need to be seeing. If I've got any chance, this woman's going to sort of be the person to, to do the job for me.
1: that um that story Ryan I think that's all really important stuff and really appreciate you talking so openly about that. Um, we're gonna move on now to talking about uh, those around us and as I always seem to say when I do this segment, um we know that um obviously cancer affects individuals but it affects those around us so much more. Um, I already know the answer to this question and um, I was gonna say do you have a story about this but I know that you do and I'm really looking forward to hearing this one so I'm gonna hand it over to you yes
2: yeah, so this story is actually about my twin brother Sean um, we basically we both grew up together very very close you know we sort of were the best things for each other as in you know not just emotionally but in terms of everything you know in academics I was slightly better, but it boosted him up. He wanted to do better than I did, and then in terms of sport, he was slightly better than I was, so I wanted to do better than he was. Um, I think that's a fitting start for this story because um, when it comes to cancer, we kind of had that battle again. Um, I won, but we'll talk. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk a little bit further into it. So basically, I was diagnosed on um, September the first, twenty seventeen, and yeah, um, my brother came straight down. We moved away. I moved away for work, so I'm down in London, and he's still back up north, um, and he comes down to, to be with me, being his, you know, extremely positive self, sleep, sleeps on the floor next to me, and, you know, really looks after me for the first couple of days when I'm um, I'm having treatment, which is, you know, just what you need, your twin beside you, um, and, yeah, obviously his life goes on, he needs to work, so after a week, he, he goes back down, you know, promising to come back every weekend, of course, um, and, yeah, he... What he realized that when he was down visiting me that actually that one of his testicles had swollen. Um, he hadn't told any of us obviously as he didn't want to worry everyone after the news that that I had just received. So he went home and Sean being Sean didn't tell anybody and just went to get checked himself. Um, a couple of days later we get a phone call and right, don't worry, don't worry. I've got testicular cancer as well. Wow, what, it was a shock. I was, you know, lay on the bed, you know, being pumped with chemo and to hear that news was just that was harder for me because it was just absolutely devastating it just feels like you know first of all your life caves in but then everything caves in it was just one of those moments where you go this can't this can't be happening i'm in a dream you know maybe i'm a bit hazy or something this is not going going well but he was like no it's all right you know they caught it at the early stages i just need surgery so my mom and dad were in absolute bits you know my mom and dad both came down to stay with me uh, my mum and dad were like, oh, one of us needs to go back up. Who's gonna go up? Who stays down here? What on earth do we do? Both of our sons have got tested the cancer, like they were just, you know, completely beside themselves. Um anyway, Sean was you know, really like, no, honestly, don't worry, I've got my partner here. I just need to go in for surgery, have my testicle removed and you know that's that's it. So he has surgery and you know that is fine for the moment. Um as far as we're aware, you know, luckily they caught early and he just needed to have that but you know we say he just needed to have that still a big big thing you lose a lot of um sort of testosterone and it's a confidence thing and there's a lot of you know things that come along with the surgery that I feel I do slightly feel sorry for Sean for because not only did he have to go through that because if he just had to go through that alone then it would have been huge but because in comparison to where I was I feel like it got downplayed a little bit Um, and I don't want him to feel like it was any less than what I went through because it was still a big thing. Um, Anyway, he was there for me a lot. He came down a lot, um, as much as he could. Very, very supportive. Um, You know, always the, you'll be fine, you've got this, the strong voice in my journey. Slightly annoying sometimes on my dark dark days because, (laughs) you 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 know, when you're seeing absolutely zero light and he's there like Mr. Motivator, you've got this, you can do it. It's kind of like, alright Sean you've been seeing this for seven months now I'm still going through treatment just give me a break you know let me have a little rest you know give me a hug or something that's what I want um but I had other people for that and he was that kind of he was that side of things um so we fast forward to um my surgery again he comes down for the week to you know help me recover help me rebuild some strength um and after surgery um you know we're in great celebrations and Oh, like this is the end of it all this is absolutely incredible uh, and then a week later he goes home oh no sorry the, he goes home from after seeing me through surgery like right this is it now i can go back to work and not have to worry about him going through treatment and whatever he goes home and he he opens the door to a letter that says you will start chemo on whatever date." and we were just like that's a bit strange so he calls him and goes oh yeah we're really sorry we thought we'd Call you in, we had called you in for um, a meeting but you hadn't replied and the person who sends the message out, it was miscommunication. Um, so yeah, basically his had spread to a little lymph node in his back and he needed to start the three cycles of, of BEP treatment. So, you know, just as soon as I had finished, it was almost like he had started and it was, oh, that was the worst time for me because, you know, I'm... I come out of it we we're all thinking this is great but then boom you know cancer strikes again it comes back he was super positive he was like oh after everything you've been to there's no you know it's gonna be easy it's gonna be it's gonna be fine and, and that that's what hurt me the most because he didn't know how hard it was gonna be I knew how hard it was gonna be for him and I knew there would be that that time where that positivity just gets less and less and less and then it will hit him and you know sure enough it did He really struggled towards the end. He was getting a lot of infections, and every time he was sort of discharged from hospital, he was sort of almost in within an hour because he, you know, he sort of had some kind of reaction, and it was becoming very, very regular. So yeah, that was hard. So I then moved down from London back up to back up to Sunderland to to be with him through his treatment, and it it just felt like it was a never-ending, a never-ending cycle. So I kind of when he finished, we didn't really. We didn't really celebrate. We just kind of on edge, as if to think, right, okay, what what's what's going to happen next, um, and all the time has has been a quite a long time now where we've both been out of treatment. We're still kind of just like, you know, watching our backs, as if to say, you know, are you okay? You 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 feeling any symptoms, bro? You know, you how are you doing? About like, oh, not not today, not this week. I'm feeling alright. What about you? And I'm like, I think I'm alright. And yeah, we just um we just sort of waiting for the next thing. I think at the moment, but yeah. I was very, very selfish in the thought that this is the worst thing, I'm going through the worst time, you know, this is, you know, the worst thing, um, blah, 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 blah. But then when we were told about Sean, it was a different level of sadness and, and and emotions. The emotions you have for yourself are horrendous, but you're in control of them. But as soon as someone you love so much is diagnosed, it's... It's, an uncon- it's uncontrolled, you don't know how they're going to take to it, you don't have any control over that. And it was just a completely different level of emotions. Although it was on a, on a lesser scale, to me, emotionally, it was on a much, much bigger scale. So it was definitely, definitely a lot harder. And actually made me realise how other people felt with me, because... I got to experience it with him, so I knew how my partner felt. I knew how my mum and dad felt with me, and actually, actually, yeah, it was a lot, a lot harder. So, yeah, definitely feel like it was harder watching someone you go through deal with it, without a doubt. So, it,
0: that right, you
2: you both twins. Yes. You you both
0: get testicular cancer. Yeah. Like, there's got to be some genetic thing there like what what happened is there you so, that you
2: think so yeah um the doctors were very interested to take that a little bit further we at the time were just a bit like you know there's there's no sort of direct links from the family so we were just like it can't be you know there's no one that's really had any sort of kind of related cancer that you'd think would just be passed down or whatever um so, but anyway yeah the doctors were very interested that my consultant got in contact with his consultant and they said you know let's do a genetic test and you know they did that and w- I got a letter a couple of months ago saying they don't think it or they don't believe it to be genetics which makes it even more of an unbelievable story mm-hmm. and my brother even said um, and I quote you know we have more chance of winning the lottery um, but yeah we still haven't won that so Sean was very he's very very sort of understanding about things and he knew that my treatment was a lot harsher therefore my recovery would be a lot different Mm. Um, I used to get quite jealous of him when he sort of finished his treatment and was back to things and he seemed to be pretty capable of things pretty quickly Um, although I finished my treatment earlier and then he went through his treatment he sort of recovered quicker and he was back to football and he was back to doing all these things and I was sort of sat there like bit shit <laughs> yeah it's a bit rubbish um you know i'm still going through all these you know really really big problems and and he can just get back to his life i wish i wish i had it that i wish i had it that easy i would think to myself but then i remind myself it was never easy for him either it was just those you know those thoughts would always go through my head we don't we don't talk about it as much as you'd expect you know we kind of we kind of pass we kind of passed it and then sort of just went back to how we've always been. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, he, he's very understanding of where I am and, and wants to to help me as much as possible.
0: Ryan, we are now moving on to a uh, question, which is sometimes seen as quite binary. And actually, I'm excited by the, uh, the provocation that it asks. Um, so we are going to explore GIFT or grievance so a story about a gift that you feel that cancer has given
2: you or a grievance you have around cancer over to you Ryan so this is a really interesting one for me personally so initially um, when my brother and I were going through treatment we always said that you know we must I don't know whether it's a sort of a common thing but we must raise awareness we must show our support for the cancer community but we never really knew how to do it so we had all these good ideas oh wow we'll create a cancer lads or a a, a men with cancer community but we were just you know two very basic lads from the north that didn't have any clue about how to do that you know so you know we just kind of were like yeah we got all these ideas but there wasn't much action in what to do with it um uh we put our stories out we put our story out a little bit on in some newspapers um which was our little first step but then randomly we were kind of contacted by itv Um, We thought it was a hoax because, you know, somebody messaging you on Facebook saying, hi, I'm from ITV doesn't really sit well with me in terms of how many people can just sort of fake things these days. So, you know, I requested her email and I requested this and we kind of broke it down that actually maybe she was pretty genuine and she does actually want us for this show, um, which just happened to turn out to be the full Monty show. Um, a show that was shown in front of millions of people and an opportunity we've never where to have prior cancer so um, That was a big opportunity and I think that was really really good because we met a lot of men there with cancer men that we'd never really met before um, We had pretty sort of quite quiet Treatment that were sort of very personal and not really mixed with other 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 men never mind men our age Um, So that actually gave us the idea of how we want to do it. So we just formed a group chat with our men and they were like, oh, you know, could we do this on a bigger scale? And me and my brother kind of looked at each other like, yeah, this is what we want to do on a bigger scale. So we sort of just sort of put our um, ideas together and made sort of a Facebook and Instagram group slash page. And yeah, in terms of it being a gift, it's really opened our eyes and we've met some amazing people. We've had some very, very good opportunities and lots of lovely support. But when I think about it realistically, the um, where I sit on the scale is probably more on the grievance because although of all these amazing opportunities, I would, I would most definitely trade them in in an instant to have never experienced cancer in any form whatsoever. So, yeah, I'm definitely more on the grievance. You know, it does bring opportunities. It does bring... Um, You know good new friendships and some wonderfully inspirational people but on a selfish side of things um to go back to you know plain old me i would yeah i would drop that in a in a heartbeat i think twist (laughs) (laughs) it's really
0: interesting you say that because there's obviously uh, yeah this this question prompts a lot of discussions about yeah not sitting at this point but it changes it moves mm. obviously some days it might have, be like oh actually it's more of a gift sometimes it's oh god um and it slips and slides and yeah. stuff like that but it's um so often we're hearing the stories of yeah people who would go actually uh yeah i would go through it again for what i've learned yeah and all those that that thing but it's great to hear that other side of it. I was floating away in this around the statistic, which I don't even know is true. Yeah. Which is really bad. Don't give statistics out, Toby, if you don't know they're the trick. Go yeah, you can you check, check it. it yeah. yeah. So uh, I think I was told by Sue Morgan from Teenage Cancer Trust name that, what is it called when you Clanger. Yeah, name, <laughs> name dropping. Name dropping, yeah. yeah, name yeah. dropping. Um and Sue said to me about how it's like four out of five young people um, who have gone through cancer, would do it again for what they have learnt. And I thought it was quite a high high statistic.
1: I just just googled Teenage Cancer Trust would do cancer
0: again. Would do cancer <laughs> again. Good thing. Um, but um, it's interesting that, yeah, it's the, like, we are going to hear them because of the majority. We're going to hear the yeah. stories of people going, yeah, oh my word, like, I would do it again. It's given me this, it's given me that. And so yeah. to hear the, the clear... statement going from that
2: yeah I mean I'll be honest there I the what you learn from cancer and the outlook you have on life is completely different and I appreciate that and I you know I'm thankful for how it's made me feel and I absolutely love supporting other men and I love helping other men and make them feel you know that they're not alone but the reason why I would say that I would go back to being who I was before because I I help people in my job anyway so I've always been uh, I wouldn't feel guilty because I would feel like I'm still who I was before I'm still quite a helpful and caring person and um, I'm just doing it on a bit of a wider scale now um, yeah it's still slightly selfish but I, I don't think I changed much in terms of personality um, I kind of already had that sort of nature I believe I hope nobody would tell you any different <laughs>
1: many conversations happening around cancer especially in the young cancer community but we still feel like there's a lot of stuff that um goes unsaid so ryan uh, we would love to hear um a story you have around the theme of lost conversations
2: so my theme is on sort of misdiagnosis or late diagnosis um and i'll start by saying in the summer of 2017 Um, i just finished my first year of teaching, my NQT year, um, and I was planning on spending the summer as you do, celebrating, finishing and passing that year um, and preparing possibly for the next year, ready to start again. Um, So me and my friend um, went away on holiday to Oh, where did we go then? We went to Zante. You know, completely crazy holiday, a bit is it, wild. Is it
0: a lad's, um, lad's
2: holiday? Well, it was just me and another lad. There was only two of us. It was pretty chilled for a lad's holiday. But we just wanted to get out and get some sun, you know, and have a couple of drinks and whatever. And the most bizarre experience happened on a boat party, believe it or not. Um, I actually literally couldn't stand up. I sat down at one point and I couldn't stand up. I felt there was like a weight, like a huge weight in my hip my legs just didn't work. And I just, just thought, mate, have I been spiked? This is really strange. I said to my friend, you know, can you want get me some water please? Um he was like, Yeah, what's wrong? I was like, my legs just don't work. I can't stand up. And he was like, Oh you just messing around honestly. Like I wasn't you know I wasn't drunk at this point. I was literally just it just started and I was thinking this isn't this is not good. Um anyway I had some water and luckily by the time the boat pulled in i could i i managed to get up and i was a bit i was a bit shaken but i was a bit like well that was weird um anyway yeah the holiday carry on no other mishaps i was kind of waiting for it to happen again but luckily it didn't um but yeah then i went as soon as i went home i noticed that i was starting to get really really bad back pain um and i was thinking okay i'm used to getting back pain because of the sports that i do but this this was like a, a different level of back pain and you know, I had one of those hot sort of bean bags that I would sleep on at night, but to the point where it was absolutely boiling, so the pain wasn't sort of inside my back, it was actually burning my back, and that was a distraction. Uh, I was thinking, this is, this is not right, so I went to the GP, and, you know, she was like, ah, oh, you've just got, you know, back muscular problems, yeah. You know, take some painkillers and rest, and it will be fine, so I was like, alright, okay, whatever. I even went to see a... Um, One of those back cracking experts um and you know he sort of jolted me with electricity and um you know got me in all sorts of shapes and positions and cracked my back and i actually came away from that thinking wow that was what i needed actually i felt great and you know sure enough half an hour later when i got home wasn't quite the case back to the extreme pain and thinking there's something wrong here anyway that sort of quickly spiraled into one day i was taking my brother to work um driving in the car oh no he was driving in the car at that point and all of a sudden like my arm my right arm just went floppy i was like that was weird and he was like you okay do you want some water i can run and get you some water i was like oh no it's all right it's just maybe it was just the position i was sitting in or something so okay i drove home then did the exact same thing the next day but the next day it happened again the exact same place but instead of my right arm it was the whole side of my right body so my right leg my right arm the right side of my face and i was just it was just completely numb and i was trying to speak to my brother and i was just in shock and i couldn't i couldn't get my words out and he was looking at me like super concerned and i remember him going into work and having a little bit of a breakdown like had a, like a little cry thing and i rang my dad thinking dad i don't know what's wrong with us like you know this back pain i'm getting well now i'm starting to i'm starting to go numb and i'm and and i just it just doesn't feel right and he was like drive straight to the nearest um, uh, your, your nearest sort of like not hospital but you know um, somewhere where you can go in what are they called walk-in centre yeah walk-in centre and your mum's going to meet you there uh, and go from there so went to a walk-in centre explained the problems um, they did blood tests and everything like right, well that's fine off you go um, you know we've done all we can we'll send for results whatever and we'll let you know I was like right that's fine um but yeah then it really progressed and like you know this is a couple of weeks now I've been seeing the GP I said I've seen the GP a couple of times more blood tests and it got to the point where I was literally going numb four or five times a day uh, and then that sort of progressed to the point where I would go numb and then I would just black out so it got to a point where it was actually really quite scary um and it was getting closer and closer to the end of summer and closer and closer to the start of the new school term And I'm thinking, hang on a second, I can't be passing out and going numb in front of the kids. What on earth? I need to get this sorted pretty quickly. Um, And funnily enough, I saw um, a Facebook uh, post about prostate cancer um, that I was showing symptoms for, you know, back pain, um, numbness, some kind of like other type things. And I was like, no, surely not. This is just like this is just one of those random things that comes up. This is definitely not going to be anything like that. What what am I, what am I talking about? Anyway, I went to the GP again when I was back down here in London, and she said, "Okay, we'll send off for um, is it neurology with the brain? Um, you know, it might be something to do with the brain, possibly epilepsy." Um, but you've got to wait like 90 something days. We were like, oh, well, that's great. Um, That's not really going to help. What am I supposed to say to the school if this is happening? I was like, fine. Um, What, what about the numbness? What about everything else? She was like, right, we sent you off for more blood tests, um, blah-de-blah. And I was just thinking, you know, and then my mum mentioned, oh, actually, you saw this Facebook post about prostate cancer, and she just looked at me and went, ah, oh, don't be silly. He's only a young lad. And I was like, oh. I kind of put me at ease a little bit, but it, it sort of was a little bit like, okay, maybe she she's not quite, she, she's confident, it's not that so maybe I should be confident, it's nothing like that um, anyway went to get the blood tests literally the next day I think it was, and while I was up in Mount Vernon, Vernon getting the blood test and my mum was like oh should we go for a walk, we haven't been for a little walk and there was a little pub down the road so we went to walk down there and as I was walking down there, completely again, one side of my body just went completely numb and I just passed out on the side like a little grass verge um, and could hear, but I couldn't see. Like you know, when you're sort of in that that moment, I could hear what was going on. My mum was shouting for people to stop. My son's just passed out. It's been this has been happening for like three weeks now, four weeks now, and nothing's been done. Can you help me? Can you call an ambulance? Um, and an ambulance came. Bizarre. I was just outside of Mount Vernon, but an ambulance still came um, and took me to Hillingdon Hospital. Um, and I just remember being there for the next day or so, but for the first period of it, it was just a four or five different doctors coming in, checking me over, doing blood tests, you know, the regular things. Um, It was only when I said that that morning I had felt a lump in my stomach that I, I, I thought was a bit weird. And one of the doctors went, oh, let me have a feel about that. And she was like, oh, yeah, I can feel it, actually. Yeah, um, maybe we should do a scan. And it was from that scan that they realised hell how on earth have we missed all of this Um, yeah and that's when they sort of got me in the room like um, yeah we've what we've seen in your stomach is uh, is a tumor and we believe that you are you have cancer and I later found out that um, with testicular cancer you're sort of rated or so you're you're sort of um, they do treatment based on something called HCG levels Um, and they're supposed to be between um, below two and five if you're sort of three but you're consistently three that's fine if you were three and then went up to five there would be a little bit of like oh that's a bit of concern we've got to keep an eye on that Uh, and they told me that mine were 175,000 so yeah just a little bit too late I think I've, I've done, after a little bit more research, I found that there was, you know, the record was the, around 200,000. Um, and I think that they survived. But yeah, I was um, close to the record, but didn't quite get it. But that was pretty annoying to, um, <laughs> to, uh, to be so far and so late on. And, and to have, a, a, I must have had at least around 30 or 40 blood tests. Um, in fact, one of the hospitals even gave me a, a heat patch for my back thinking that was a completely separate problem so when I was diagnosed I actually had this heat patch still on me because they gave me a whole pack of them and I was wearing them because I was in you know incredible pain and they were like oh why have you got that that patch on your back I was like well well, they told me that I've actually got back problems no I haven't got cancer I've got back problems so yeah that was a, a big shock to the system but at that point I was really really unwell and I thought I was just quite glad that they actually you know found an issue i knew i wasn't feeling the way i was feeling because of back pain so it was sort of devastating but a relief at the same time because you know you just want to be told what on earth is wrong with you so yeah
1: i think yeah misdiagnosis amongst young people is so Mm. common and you're right people aren't talking about the the fact that that happens they're not because it's still so unusual for a young person to get cancer Mm. and that's what happened with with Chris as well when she was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer it was because she she was diagnosed late she was misdiagnosed again and again and again
0: um so as a as a conversation that needs to be had what do we think like (coughs) what do you think could change like is is there anything
2: I just think GPs need to show more concern if people are coming to you with real genuine issues you know don't just give them the old antibiotics and a and a, a a general blood test and walk away because the general blood tests don't actually sort of check for hCG markers. There's a special type of blood test that you need. Um, the general blood tests just you know show up all the other things in my body that were fine. So, um, you know, if someone's really really coming to you and they are really concerned, like listen to them because I I knew something was wrong, but because of them showing any kind of Oh, there's no way it made me think that there was no way so to when to the point where I was diagnosed it was just a, a real big shock how can somebody in a professional place of you know a GP turn around and say there's no chance when actually there in fact there is a chance the chance might be small but there is a chance you know they, they sort of give you unrealistic hope um, and then you sort of just get hit with the the cancer sort of stick and you go wow I'm in this world now what on earth do I need to do here to get over it? Do you know what I mean? And like you said, there's so many problems that come of it, they could just definitely sort of sort them out a little bit beforehand just by being a little bit more inquisitive. Do you know what I mean? Asking sort of more questions. I think because they've just got so many patients to, yeah. to do that uh, you're just a quick... And one of the doctors actually said or one of the GPs actually said because I was so... Or because I did a lot of sports and I was actually quite healthy and active that that actually masked a lot of the the problems for me so they said if I didn't wasn't as sporty and as active all these things that you're told you should do to, to, to stop yourself getting these illnesses and cancer and whatnot that actually was a hindrance in terms of my diagnosis because if I was just a general person maybe I would have had more problems that would have led to a diagnosis a bit quicker the last story of
0: uh, this podcast is "Don't Laugh," um, <laughs> which is mainly uh, pointed at Alice to see if you can. Uh, yeah, make Alice. I mean, you laugh at everything. Um, but the yeah, a lot of uh, things around cancer are so heavy. There's, uh, and rightly so, there is so much. But we want to also highlight some of the uh, lighter sides that perhaps are experienced by going through this. Uh, What are you laughing at now?
1: Experience. You're
0: laughing at me saying experience again. Yes, I know. Uh, But, uh, Ryan, we're going to go over to you for your last story. Um, Don't laugh.
2: Yeah, so I know a lot of people during their treatment um, deal with it through humour. And actually, a lot of people that I've come in contact with um, use humour on their social media platforms. And I actually um, love it personally. But for me... Um, when I was going through treatment, I actually really struggled with the humor side of things. I just kind of found everything really dark and really depressing, and I, I kind of really I couldn't find the humor that everyone else was finding around me. And you know, friends and and, and my brother more so would you know make jokes, and um, you know I'd lash la- Sorry, I'd laugh initially, uh, and then I kind of just sit there and go, Oh, um, "This actually, actually quite hurt me a little bit," and then I'd go into myself a little bit and be like actually that, that's quite offensive and you know it, it kind of bit I was a bit of a killjoy really but um, I didn't let it show but then when I was by myself I was a bit like uh, you know I didn't really enjoy the humor side of things um, however the funniest part for me kind of came after treatment and you know when I was starting to feel better and actually actually I could find humor and things a bit more um, we went on a family holiday to Florida um, and we were in Miami for a couple of days celebrating. Uh, my mum and dad's uh, wedding anniversary and also me and my brother just being here to be honest <laughs> and um, we it was a beautiful beautiful place it was like a, looking over the skyline in Miami and my mum was like you know let's get cocktails I was like oh absolutely what do you want and uh, there's a you know a bizarre range of cocktails I just went for the fruitiest one uh, and everyone else's <laughs> cocktails kind of came out before mine beautiful glasses with sort of like all these decorations and I was like oh wow I can't wait for mine to come let's see what I've got here and you know no beautiful tall glass with decorations I just get what can only be described as a chemo bag with sort of purple (laughs) liquid in it and a straw and I was just sort of sat there looking around thinking is somebody you know somebody told them something or you know why is this happening like the first thing everyone around like all my family were just like laughing, like what is that (laughs) um yeah so I found the humor in that side of it but yeah, it was a very, very strange experience that was, I think.
0: Was it taste like better than... No, it was beautiful, yeah. Oh, right. It was, Good it was actually Let's really, really it
2: nice. It. it was quite like a sour, like sour and fruity at the same time. Um, that's why I chose it initially, not because I knew it was going to be in a chemo bag. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did. no idea. There was no so, pictures yeah. of it, yeah. Um, no, it was, the, the cocktail was lovely, but um Yeah. <laughs>
1: the delivery left something to be desired yeah
2: the delivery was you know you kind of it was almost like you know when they come up with a birthday cake and they're all around as if to say, like they're expecting a reaction um it was all very comical and and yeah everyone just looked it was the last cocktail to be delivered and everyone just sort of looked at me as if to say do we see anything you know has, is he is he aware and i was very much aware that it looked like a chemo bag the amount that i'd had i was very aware and sort of i think i think it was my partner looked around and goes that looks like a chemo bag and I was like I know it looks like a chemo bag you know oh. it's very obvious and they're like oh, we must get a picture and I was like okay we'll get my a picture. like goodness your
1: partner said something and like recognized it so yeah. you weren't just like Any- anyone else? Yeah anyone else it was this? good that she
2: <laughs> broke the ice here yeah, because I think we were all all thinking it but nobody really knew what to say. I think my family was aware that I wasn't very good with the humor side of things but I think I was at that point now where yeah I could start laughing at things like that.
0: Was it quite was that quite a release like when you started having a bit of a like because I'm sure yeah holding it in being yeah. like, oh my god this is this yeah was there anything with that? I think
2: so yeah I think I think it was actually because um I spent a lot of time not really finding the humor but I think if I was still in active treatment I wouldn't have found it that funny sure. I think because I was sort of out of the other end so to speak and you know starting to feel better and actually you know I was in Florida having the time of my life you know, I was thinking, oh, I can get back to experiencing all these good things, maybe the end isn't actually near, I can enjoy and, and have a laugh um, about things, yeah, so it was, it was good to sort of finally feel that, you know, my humour was coming back. Well, yeah, actually, it's, it's nice to, to speak again more openly about, you know, my own story. And I just love to hear from more young men and women about their struggles and to get them to sort of get their stories out there, because I feel like we are a, a minority voice. To us, we feel like the majority, because we're in the cancer world, so we feel like we hear a lot of it, but actually... In the reality, when you look outside of our little cancer bubble, there's not actually that many. And I feel like people who aren't in this cancer bubble don't aren't aware enough. So it's important because we hear all these cancer stories and these struggles a lot. But actually, from the outside looking in, it's not as often as we may think.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Mm. Toby, what's your afterthought for today?
2: I'm glad
0: you asked me. Um, my afterthought on today is... I'm um, just it's been really great to have you on Ryan and oh, to you. hear your stories and like I I think particularly around fertility mm-hmm. and like Agreed. um it's something like it's it's funny to say but the like in a wider sense thinking about how important like having a male perspective on something mm-hmm. is and how much we do hear from men on lots of things but like actually about about fertility it is so uh, full of things that are going on and mm-hmm. It's really great to hear a story about that, just to get people to understand about that impact. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I'm, yeah, my afterthoughts, are, I'm really thankful to have those, those stories on afterthoughts. Oh, sorry. Hi, Alice. Um, uh, Alice, um, what are your afterthoughts on today's episode? So
1: my afterthoughts on today's episode, um, always great to have another northerner on. Thank you. The podcast. Um, No, Ryan, you've told us some amazing stories, and I think it's so important that we have these conversations. Um, My other afterthought is that next time I'm talking to people about my eyebrows, I'm going to pick my audience better. (laughs) Strong. Um, You can find us on all of the usual social medias, so Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at Afterthoughts34, and we'll be sure to share... Cancel us as well.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Afterthoughts. Thank
1: you so much for listening and thank you again, Ryan.
2: Thank you very much. See you next time. Thank you very much. Bye.
0: If today's episode of Afterthoughts has sparked any thoughts or feelings that you'd like to speak to somebody about, we would really, really recommend you grabbing a cup of tea with a friend or dropping them a WhatsApp. Or you could speak to our fantastic charity supporters, Trekstock. Trekstock get young adults in their 20s and 30s moving again physically, socially and psychologically when cancer has stopped them in their tracks. Find out more at www.trekstock.com Afterthoughts is produced by Alice May Perkis and Toby Peach from Beyond Arts with sound design by Kieran Lucas Thank you